Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, a conversation with retiring Senator Rob Portman about the most pressing work before he leaves Congress and the bitterly contested race to fill his seat in the next term. Also this morning, after Mother's Day reminds her of how important she is, Women's Health Week encourages mom to do all she can to ensure she's always around. And at the top of that list is understanding the full range of breast health risks and challenges. We'll get a sneak peek at the technology that will be powering our future straight from this week's Google I.O. Developers Conference and another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, May 13th, 2022. Friday the 13th. I know I'm not, I'm not leaving the house myself. We're uh, holed up in the bunker here this morning. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm not taking any chances. Uh, you know, Friday uh, the 13th is also the first Friday, the 13th of the year is blame someone else day. <laughs> so that's the good thing here with uh, today being the first Friday, the 13th of 2022. Something goes wrong. You don't have to own up to it. You don't have to fess up. Blame someone else day today. Uh, Also, today is cough drop day, frog jumping day, international hummus day, uh, national fruit cocktail day, and it is also world cocktail day. Now, note the difference. Uh, It's national fruit cocktail day, but world cocktail day. So those two definitely different things. National Leprechaun Day, which makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. I don't know why today is Leprechaun Day uh, in the middle of May as opposed to March, you would think, right? But anyway, it is Shades Day, Tulip Day, and it is Apple Pie Day, National Apple Pie Day. And you think, what is more American than apple pie? But it is not, as it turns out. Uh, apple pie did not originate in America at all. The first recipe for apple pie was published in England in the 1300s. So dates all the way back to the 14th century, well before America, even though it is thought of as an all-American thing. So you learn something here this morning. My goodness, has it been hot. Yesterday, uh, we fell just short of a record high. It hit 90 degrees in Ottawa, I am told, officially. We in Findlay were just shy of 90, but man, it was steamy. And a a new government report say say it is going to be a really hot summer in a lot of of states and much of the country. The Climate and Health Outlook Report from the Department of Health and Human Services and the Office of Climate Change and Health Equity predicts which states and counties are expected to experience extremely hot days this summer. Uh, By the way, they actually have a definition for extremely hot. It is when the daily maximum temperature is above the 95th percentile value of the historical temperature distribution in that area. (laughs) Leave it to the government to come up with a specific definition of extremely hot. I think most of us inherently know what in what extremely hot is. 
<laughs> I mean, you step out the door and you say, oh, it's extremely hot. But no, the government has to have a definition. And it is when the maximum when the daily maximum temperature is above the 95th percentile value of the historical temperature distribution in the area. And they present uh, they predict that this summer that will happen in 203 counties across 14 states specifically. Again, leave it to the government to do such a deep dive on this and and come up with such specifics. 203 counties in 14 states. So apparently, if you don't live in one of those 203 counties in America, you can't say it's extremely hot because the government will come back and say, no, it's not. We have the data to prove it. It is not extremely hot. Uh, anyway, Texas is going to be particularly hit hard. Uh, that state accounts for over half of the extremely hot weather conditions this summer. At least this is the prediction. Uh, in general, the North American Multi-Model Ensemble pred- uh, predicts the average temperature will be 1.8 to 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit above normal for most of the continental U.S. Uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska experiencing a higher 90-day average temperature of 3.6 to 5.4 degrees Fahrenheit. So of all the hot states, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska will be the ones hit hardest. So I guess the long and short of it in all of that is don't complain because it could always be worse. That's the message I take away from it anyway. By the way, speaking of summer, of course, so we're coming up on uh, travel season. Um, this is the time when you're starting to plan your getaway, and many Americans are taking to the skies once again after spending the last two years grounded. And it apparently is one of those, it's, getting back into the sky is not all it's cracked up to be. New J.D. Power survey of airline passenger satisfaction is out. And it shows overall satisfaction is uh, the overall satisfaction score is 798 out of a thousand when all of the results are conglomerated there and compressed into one data point. That is down more than 20 points from a year ago. Many reasons for this, they say passengers express dissatisfaction with the flight crews and the ongoing suspension of alcohol service in premium class flights. Although that's that's coming back now, right? I think most of the airlines have resumed alcohol service. So this may be outdated in that respect. But uh, the thing most passengers were most dissatisfied with, and this is not surprising when you hear it, the cost. Uh, the cost of flights have increased 20% on average so far this year. And that is the biggest complaint. But again, considering how low the prices were over the past couple of years, just simply because demand cratered with the pandemic and all of the restrictions on flying, people just weren't flying and uh, prices bottomed out. And uh, now as the demand has gone back up, the prices are going back up and we're not happy about it. Overall satisfaction with costs and fees fell 66 points for premium economy passengers, 33 points for economy passengers, and 21 points for first-class and business-class passengers. 
Uh, once again, JetBlue, the highest ranking airline in customer satisfaction. Um, Delta was number one last year, and they are not uh, this year. J, uh, JetBlue is number one. There you go. Uh, let's see. What did you, did you have a crazy dream last night? Have you ever had that? I, we all have had that. From time to time, you have a crazy dream. What is the strangest dream you've ever had? Researchers um, looked at this and uh, exposed a computer brain simulation to different dreams using the three known phases of sleep. Wakefulness, non-REM, and REM, or deep sleep. They found that the three phases appear to have uh, complementary functions for learning, experiencing a stimulus, solidifying the experience, and discovering semantic concepts. Now, the long and short of it, and why I think this is interesting, the lead co-author of the study on this says, while non-REM dreams resemble waking experiences quite closely, REM dreams, deep sleep dreams, tend to creatively combine all of our experiences and we believe these findings suggest a simple evolutionary role for dreams without interpreting their exact meaning it shouldn't be surprising that sometimes dreams are bizarre but this bizarreness serves a purpose they say the next time you are having a crazy dream don't try to find a deeper meaning to it your brain may simply be organizing all of your experiences. So there you go. Now you know. Well, that was kind of interesting. Interesting story to start the day with. A couple of other things here uh, that I thought uh, were uh, very interesting off the uh, newswire. Among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, the biggest white diamond ever minted has sold for $22 million dollars. Sold at Christie's annual Magnificent Jewels auction in Switzerland this week. Christie's refused to name the buyer or even say where they live. But I got to think, if you are sporting a 22 carat uh, or a, uh, uh, well, it's $21.9 million sale. Um, the biggest white diamond ever. I'm, I'm thinking if, I don't know how many carats it is, but I'm thinking if you're sporting a brand new Huge rock, huge, uh, huger than anyone has ever seen before. It's going to be kind of hard to hide. <laughs> they didn't say who bought it, but it's going to be hard to hide. Speaking of things that are hard to hide, uh, Christie's has sold a nearly complete dinosaur skeleton for $12.4 million to an undisclosed buyer. It is uh, a fossilized dinon. Dynonicus. Dynonicus. Uh, this was on Thursday. It's a velociraptor-like species, arguably one of the world's most recognizable dinosaurs, thanks to the movie Jurassic Park. Uh, they nicknamed it Hector, and uh, it was the first public sale of uh, this type of dinosaur fossil. Uh, the sale price was more than double what they estimated. So $12.4 million for Hector. And they don't say who bought Hector, but again... That's going to be hard to hide. <laughs> you know, I, I'm guessing that the identity is going to be revealed sooner or later, because how do you hide 
a the you know the uh, largest one of the largest dinosaur fossils ever. I. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get that, Joe? <laughs> what is that? <clears throat> and uh, how about this? This is amazing science. You know, they're talking about colonizing the moon someday. Uh, going back to the moon, going to Mars, maybe colonizing another planet. If we end up doing that, one of the challenges is... Feeding people. How do we feed people if they are living on the moon? Well, a team of scientists in Florida has, for the first time ever, proven that plants can grow in lunar soil. Researchers at the University of Florida used soil collected from several of NASA's Apollo missions. Scientists planted seeds and placed them under growth lights to see how they would react. The plants grew in the lunar soil, but showed signs of stress. So they didn't grow as well as they grow on Earth, but the most important thing is they grew. The team hopes their findings will further NASA's Artemis program, which plans to create a permanent operations base on the moon. I'm just wondering, did they simulate the lack of a uh, an atmosphere? I mean, because that, <laughs> I would think, would be rather important. So, I don't know. But... Uh, there you go. Oh, and uh, speaking of uh, outer space, the very first ever photo of the Milky Way's black hole is being revealed. Image shows an oval-shaped void with a bright ring around it. It's only the second image ever captured of a black hole. And uh, this one gives us a uh, detailed look at the core of the Milky Way, our galaxy. The uh, black hole about 27,000 light years away and four million times more massive than the sun. Four million times more massive than the sun. That's crazy. But again, the good news is it's 27,000 light years away. I'd feel better if it were a little further away, but I don't think it's going to suck the Earth into the black hole anytime soon. Just... Anyway, there you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your TGI Friday the 13th started. <laughs> WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, plenty of sunshine expected again today with a high of 83. It'll be partly cloudy tonight with a low around 60. The Finley City Planning Commission has approved the site plan for residential development west of I-75 and south of County Road 99 on Finley's north end. Tim Miley, Director of Economic Development, says the project is a big step towards their gateway vision for the north end. It's fun to see it all come together from when we started this 45 years ago to seeing the developers be willing to invest there, believe in our plan, and bring some much-needed housing to the community. He says the Gateway Vision also includes the construction of a diverging diamond interchange at 75 and 99. In addition, Blanchard Valley Health System continues to evaluate their plans for that area. Get more of our conversation with Miley on the website. Also at the Planning Commission meeting, the site plans were approved for a Starbucks at 508 West Trenton Avenue. That site is currently a vacant mobile home park. Developers say the Starbucks is expected to be open by the end of this year. We stopped by Owens Community College to check out Raise the Bar's Manufacturing Week. Turns this, pump, right? this is your cartridge kit. All these posts are the same basic principle. 
Hancock County manufacturers this week have been hosting around 1,000 eighth graders. Get more on Manufacturing Week, including video from our visit on the website. The American Civil Liberties Union is challenging an abortion ruling in a city in southwest Ohio. City leaders in Lebanon passed an ordinance that deems it illegal for any person to get or perform an abortion of any type at any stage of pregnancy. Those who knowingly aid or abet an abortion could also face criminal penalties. The ACLU and the National Association of Social Workers are suing the mayor, city manager, city attorney, and police chief over the law they say violates due process. Kate Burdett, ONN News. Governor DeWine has ordered flags lowered in Ohio in honor of the one million Americans who had been killed by COVID. The governor's order is in accordance with the orders issued by the president. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Now to our cover story this morning, lest anyone think that Senator Rob Portman is just sitting around with his feet up relaxing, biding his time until he leaves Congress at the end of the year, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, there is an awful lot on his plate to address between now and uh, his final adjournment uh, in, in Congress. Yesterday afternoon, we got the chance to speak with Senator Portman about some of those issues and to ask his thoughts on his potential successor. One could argue that of all your years in the Senate, uh, this may be the one of the most consequential, and it is all important, of course, uh, but what, in your view, is the most important issue for Congress to address between now and the end of the year? Well, there are a lot of them, unfortunately. We've got a border that is in crisis, really out of control, and I'm the top Republican on the Homeland Security Committee. I spent a lot of time on that. We've got to get the administration to tighten things up at the border because it's affecting us at home in a very direct way, which is these uh, synthetic opioids, fentanyl in particular, streaming over the border. And that's the other issue. You know, we just had a new report come out. Unfortunately, uh, we just learned that we had the worst year ever in the United States of people dying of overdoses. And most of those people who were dying of overdoses were dying of fentanyl overdoses. Mm-hmm. In Ohio alone, uh, we now believe that uh, over two-thirds of those deaths are related directly to this synthetic opioid fentanyl. So those are two issues we just got to address as a country. In the meantime, what Russia is doing overseas uh, to Ukraine has to be called out for what it is, which is uh, a barbaric uh, war crime against uh, you know a sovereign democratic country, and we got to push back there and help Ukraine. And then we got lots of issues with the economy. I mean, inflation is uh, just raging. We got a 30% increase year over year now on energy, and and people on fixed incomes, uh, you know, lower middle income Ohioans are really hurting right now. So there's a lot of different issues coming together, and my hope is that before I uh, get out of here, which is going to be in another five or six months that, you know, we can resolve some of these issues. You mentioned right yeah. out of the gate uh, the uh, border crisis, and I, I know that uh, Republicans have repeatedly tried to shine a light on the uh, border crisis, and for all of the reasons that you mentioned, it does seem, though, that with Ukraine and inflation at the top of everyone's mind, that it's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. How, how dismaying is that, that this isn't uh, more of a front and center issue in the minds of many people? Well, I, I wish it was more front and center in the minds of the administration, honestly, because they could do some things by executive order, just as they did when they came in to open up the border more. They could begin to tighten things down again, and yet they're going just the opposite way. I don't know if you've followed this 
Title 42 issue, but mm-hmm. we've been able over the last uh, two or three years because of COVID to apply Title 42 as a public health authority to say, sorry, you'd like to come in our country, but we're going to turn you away because of COVID. About half the people who come to the border illegally now are turned away on that basis. And if they live in, you know, countries that are off the border, uh, like Honduras or Ecuador or other places, they're sent back to those countries. And that's been very effective in order to keep the numbers from being even larger. Yet we have record numbers. And now the administration is saying we're going to get rid of Title 42, at the same time saying with regard to other things that COVID is still very much a problem. So it really concerns me if they're going to get rid of Title 42, they've got to do so with a plan to provide some alternative to keep the border from becoming totally overwhelmed. And as the Border Patrol tell me, in no uncertain terms, they will lose operational control of the border. What they mean by that is they just won't be able to stop people or drugs coming in. And, and that's, that's pretty scary. So I think we've got to focus on this issue of the border, not so much, uh, you know, because we don't like immigration. We do. We love legal immigration in this country. We're one of the most generous countries in the world, probably the most generous this year in allowing legal immigrants to come in. But people need to do it through an orderly process. And we need to know who's coming into our country. Uh, as you probably saw, we've had uh, at least 40 individuals come up to the border illegally uh, and tried to come in who were on the terrorist watch list uh, just in the last several months here of yeah. this year. So uh, people are coming from 150 countries now. They know the way to get into America is to simply come across the southern border. You mentioned Ukraine. I I do want to bring this up. As important as it is to support the resistance uh, against Russia's invasion, this has been nearly as expensive, it seems, as if we were fighting that war ourselves. And it was your potential successor, J.D. Vance, who famously said that he didn't particularly care about Ukraine. Has the cost been worth it? Well, the victory is absolutely essential. I mean, if the other uh, occurs and Vladimir Putin wins, it is a huge problem for us as a country and our national security, because then other countries will look at this, say China with regard to Taiwan, where 90% of the high-end semiconductors are made, or Russia with regard to the Baltic countries, which he has also said are in his sights, you know, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, great allies of ours, Poland. Uh, You know, you're going to see... uh, unfortunately, a much less stable world, and America will have to pay a lot more. We're not fighting this war ourselves. They're fighting it. Mm-hmm. So we are providing uh, funds for it, but we're not the only one doing it. So are other countries all over the world. Over 40 countries are doing that, and we're not putting any of our men and women in harm's way, which is the real cost of, of war. Mm-hmm. And the cost is far less as a result than other wars we've been in, including Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and, and others you know, yeah. o- over our history. Yeah. Plus, you know, one thing to think about is the Russians under Vladimir Putin have said that they are going to take on other countries that used to be part of the so-called Russian Empire or the, or the broader Russian Federation. And what we're happening, what's happening in Ukraine is that incredibly brave Ukrainian soldiers, some are just citizen soldiers, are holding the line and degrading the Russian military every single day. So this is a, you know, it's the second largest uh, uh, military in the in the world after us and China, uh, so it's uh, you know it's it's a huge military force and obviously an adversary of ours, and it's being degraded every day by the Ukrainians, not us, using weapons from us and other countries mm-hmm. and their own weapons. Uh, that, in a way, is in our national security interest as compared to having Russia win 
this war, which would be very much against our national security interests. We mentioned J.D. Vance as your potential successor, uh, having won the Republican primary. How much did you pay attention to that race uh, over the past few weeks? And do you believe that J.D. Vance would be a worthy successor? Well, I'm supporting J.D. I I think he'll be a good senator. We need to get him in there. Um, We have a Republican 50-50 split right now, Democrat-Republican. And it's absolutely essential, given everything that's happening, including the border, including inflation, uh, including energy policy, including the drug policy, uh, essential that we have a Republican majority in the Senate. And I think if Ohio were to lose the seat to a Democrat, it would be very hard to uh, to have a, have a majority. We are this close. You know, we just need one more vote uh, to get the majority and then be able to change the direction of the country because the majority sets the agenda and is able to pass a a number of pieces with just 51 votes. Others, you have to have 60 votes. So, but it is, it's really important we elect a Republican. So I'm supporting JD, had uh, the opportunity to visit with him over the weekend. Uh, You know, I've known him for many years and my hope is that the Republican party will come together and that we can ensure that we uh, do elect a Republican to uh, succeed me in this seat. We will leave it there. Uh, Senator Rob Portman, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Chris. Take care, buddy. Well, the week immediately following Mother's Day is National Women's Health Week to encourage women to make their health a priority. At the top of that list, of course, is understanding the risk of breast cancer. And on that point, nearly half of all women age 40 plus who have had mammograms are told that they have dense breasts. Now, joining us to explain why that is significant as it relates to breast cancer risk are Dr. Pamela Habib, Director of U.S. Medical Affairs for Bayer Radiology, and Dr. David Schatt, uh, breast ra- radiologist at Northwestern's at Linsage Breast Center. Now, it says here in my notes that the risk for breast cancer can be four to six times higher for women with dense breasts, but is that because it is more commonly occurring or just because it is harder to detect? That's a great question, Chris. I mean, it's actually both. So the it's harder to detect because dense breasts appears white on a mammogram and cancers also appear white. Mm. So in a breast, you have fat tissue and you have dense tissue. And the mammogram is what tells us how much dense tissue there is and therefore whether or not the woman has dense breasts. So it's not something you can feel. A lot of women think that you can feel whether your breasts are dense, but it's actually something that we find out once a mammogram is performed. Um, So that's one reason why it's important, because cancers can be hidden if there's a lot of dense tissue. But to the second point you made, it also increases risk. Um, There are a number of factors that are involved in risk, and the studies have shown that even a woman with um, extremely dense breasts is at higher risk regardless, separate from the fact that it's also harder to see cancers on their mammogram. So in addition to all of the other risk factors, this is another one. So because dense breast makes it difficult to more difficult to detect, does that mean for those women, mammograms are not enough to detect breast cancer? Do we need to go uh, beyond that? Yeah, Chris, that's a, a, a good question and um, one that I think it's important for women to reach out to their um, healthcare providers to, to understand for them. Um, mammograms save lives. This has been shown in, in, in numerous studies and save lives for women of all breast densities. So as a starting point, it's important for women to get that screening mammogram. Mm-hmm. When they do, in fact, have high breast density, that's the appropriate time to start a discussion with your uh, providers about 
your overall risk status and the available and um, good screen, supplemental screening tests that can be done beyond mammograms um, potentially to find things that, that weren't seen due to breast density. Um, in many instances, this could be either a, a screening ultrasound or an MRI, um, really depending on um, sort of the local and regional situations in your in your area. Okay, so uh, speaking to those women who have been told that they have dense breasts and this uh, does impact them, what questions then should those women be asking their doctors kind of lay out what that conversation should look like? The first question is really just to ask what this means for me. So if you find out you have dense breasts, opening that conversation with your doctor, asking, you know, how does this impact my risk and what other risk factors do I have? And your doctor can, or your healthcare provider can go through um, all of your other potential risk factors and determine in totality what that means for you. Uh, and the next question would be, now given my level of risk, do I need supplemental screening in addition to the mammogram, which as Dr. Schacht mentioned, could be an ultrasound or an MRI and your healthcare provider can help determine that based on the risk level uh, discussion that you had, whether it makes sense for you to have supplemental screening. On a more general note, I, I'm curious about this because we have talked uh, in the past as it relates to any number of uh, medical screenings, medical conditions and, and concerns regarding the pandemic. How has uh, the, the past couple of years and the way that's upended everything, how has that uh, impacted the way women uh, have been or, or have not been uh, getting breast screenings? Yeah, Chris, it's it's been a, a complicated matter. There's no there's no doubt about it. I think you know, from the perspective of a provider in, in Chicago, initially there was kind of the immediate push to acutely take care of the very sick COVID patients, mm -hmm. and that had an effect on um, not only what we could provide um, on our side, but also on women's um, really desire to come to a hospital if they were otherwise well. So. You know, unfortunately, there have been some models that suggest that there may be um, in, in excess of uh, at least several thousand um, extra deaths from breast cancer due to the pandemic from, from women not um, having access to their routine screening mammograms. So, you know, if there was really one thing that I could say regarding this specific topic is that if you haven't had a regular screening exam due to the pandemic please find a way to to get yourself back in yeah that's the other you know obviously the tragedy of deaths that wouldn't have had to have happened but certainly on top of that uh there are untold numbers of screenings or women who are behind in their screenings and really need to get caught up at this point that's that's absolutely correct so uh, again for women's uh, national women's health week talking about uh breast cancer and the uh, and and breast density and how that relates to all of this and again getting caught up on our screenings making uh, health a priority for women this week following Mother's Day. Dr. Pamela Habib, Director of U.S. Medical Affairs for Bayer Radiology. Dr. David Schott, uh, breast radiologist, Northwestern's Lynn Sage Breast Center. Where do we get more information? Obviously, you know, whenever we talk about medical issues preface that by saying your your own physician is the best source of information but in general uh where do we guide folks for more uh, basic information here you can go to understandyourdensity.com and so this website provides information on breast density 
you can take a quiz to find out how much you know and what gaps there are. So it's a good uh, informational site that I would uh, encourage people to visit. We'll link up to that on our webpage. Thank you both for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Boy, do I love talking about new tech stuff. And uh, this week, Google held their big I.O. developers conference, unveiling the latest technology that will power a mobile and digital world into the future. Google technology expert Alex Joseph is with us this morning. Alex, let's start off with the big stuff. What were the big breakthrough moments from Google I.O. this week? Yeah, so Google I.O. is our opportunity to showcase our latest innovations. And some things that really broke through were our new hardware devices that we're releasing and previewing for later this year. So a few highlights there. Uh, the first is our Pixel 6a smartphone. It's the latest phone in our A series. And what's so great about this phone is that it's powered by the same Google Tensor chip that is available in our premium phones that creates an incredible camera, uh, incredible speech recognition, and all-day battery life. But it's at a more affordable price, so it's just four forty nine, and it's going to be available for pre order on July twenty first. So another highlight from our hardware, well, yes, before the summer is out, and and another highlight from our hardware announcements is our Pixel Buds Pro. It's our premium wireless earbuds, and it's the first that we've ever had with active noise cancellation. They're also coming out later this summer. The last thing I'll mention is we actually announced for the first time our Pixel Watch. This is going to be coming out later this year, but it takes the best of Fitbit for uh, fitness tracking and combines it with the best of Google. So talking to your assistant, paying with your smartwatch, or getting turn-by-turn navigation right from your wrist. That's going to be coming out later this year, and we're going to share more about it in the coming months. Uh, also, an early look at a new Pixel tablet, and there were uh, some folks who had speculated that maybe Google was getting out of the uh, uh, tablet business. Yes, we did give an early look and we're back in the tablet business. Uh, I will say this tablet is not going to be released until 2023, but we did want to showcase the ecosystem of devices that are in our Pixel lineup. So, you know, we kicked off things a few years back with our Pixel phones uh, and have expanded since then to our Pixel Buds, which are our earbuds. But now we're going to have watches and tablets as well. It's a big theme of this conference is making sure all of our devices and products really work better together. Uh, so we're very excited about what's to come this year. Talk, uh, speaking of uh, early uh, looks, sneak peeks, uh, also I understand uh, there's an early prototype of uh, technology that, and this sounds fascinating to me, uh, that it says could break down language barriers, kind of like subtitles for the world. Uh, explain what this is all about. Yeah, we showed an early prototype of technology that can do exactly what you're saying, break down these language barriers. And it's building off a lot of the technology that we have in our smartphones, like the Pixel 6a that we just announced, uh, which allows for real-time translation. And what it does is it actually brings those into your line of sight. So when looking through this prototype set of glasses, which is just a prototype, and I want to stress that, you can actually see different languages translated right before your eyes under the speaker. So 
Um, it's, you know, we don't have a lot more to share, but it is a great example of the kinds of things we hope technology can make possible. Mm. Uh, just uh, amazing uh, when you start to think about what is possible uh, on down the line in the in the future, kind of peering into the crystal ball a little bit. And then uh, as uh, more of uh, the, the practical stuff, um, you mentioned um, upgrades to, I mean, everybody's familiar with Google Maps and uh, you uh, got some new features there uh, to to create a more immersive experience is, uh, I guess, the best way to explain it. Exactly. I mean, Google Maps is one of our most beloved products, and you know, I, I use it almost every day. And we are taking one of the features that people know and love, Street View, and taking it to a whole new level, and we're calling it Immersive View. Um, this is thanks to rich 3D models of the world. People will have a, a whole new way to uh, explore uh, where they might be going. So they can see, you know, it, it looks as if you're flying with a drone, uh, flying through, you know, London or Paris or San Francisco or New York. And with a time slider, you can actually see what that area looks like at different times of the day. So what the traffic conditions might be, what the weather might be, and where busy spots are so you can make informed decisions about where to go. Of course, when we talk about uh, the technology space, the first thing that I think comes to everyone's mind is privacy. And you have uh, some new privacy features that you have been uh, talking about this week. Uh, again, talking about the practical side uh, of this technology, the uh, things that uh, everyone can kind of relate to and, and everyone can uh, really get on board with here. Yeah, so two two big features that I think are going to make people's lives a lot easier. The first is, you know, for online shoppers. And I think more and more, we're all shopping online, and it's become an indispensable part of our lives. Right. Uh, you know, we spend so much time browsing and researching and shopping. Uh, we expect checkout to be fast, easy, but most importantly, secure. And so for the first time in the U.S., uh, you, you know, any of our users using Chrome, which is our browser, or our Android phones, will actually be able to convert an eligible credit card into a virtual card. What that does is it replaces your real credit card number with a distinct virtual number that protects you from any potential fraud. And it makes online shopping a lot easier and safer. The other thing that I think is really exciting is about, um, you know, so many of us have Googled our own names to see what shows up <laughs> and look for ourselves online. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we'll feel a little bit safer when we have more control over where personally identifiable information can be found, like yeah. our phone number. Right. And that's why we're introducing a new tool right in Google search that helps you easily control where your information is found in search results. So if you are to search for yourself, you see your phone number or your home address somewhere you don't want it, you can have those results removed from Google search. Again, Google technology expert Alex Joseph with us this morning talking about some of the uh, new technology and innovations uh, from their big IO developers conference uh, held this week. And where do folks learn more information about all of this stuff and everything else that uh, has been talked about at this uh, big event? Yeah, people can see a full video and some shorter recaps of the uh, I.O. keynote, which happened yesterday by simply going to YouTube and searching Google I.O. or searching Google I.O. in your Google search bar. And you can see all the announcements. We will link up to that on our webpage as well. Alex, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. 
So much broken news this morning that I don't know if we can get it all in. I, maybe it's because it's Friday the 13th. I don't know. But uh, some weird things going on. We have a, uh, a number of candidates for the title of dumb criminal of the day. Uh, item number one. A South Carolina man is facing drug and firearm charges after he made quite a mistake. The Chesterfield County Sheriff's Office said Tondavian Wilson texted a photo of neatly packaged marijuana and a pistol to the number of a deputy. <laughs> he texted a photo of his drug stash and an unlicensed handgun to a deputy. Oops, wrong number. After receiving the picture, the deputy began to ask about prices for the marijuana, and he said he would be interested in the gun as well. Mr. Wilson provided his location, and when deputies arrived, they found him with a bag containing more than 90 grams of marijuana and the pistol. <laughs> Probably wondering, what the heck happened? What the, how did this happen? Uh, it does say he was arrested without incident, so at least he was smart enough not to put up a fight. He knew he had been had, so there is that. Uh, candidate number two for the uh, title of Dumb Criminal of the Day is the Alabama man under arrest on drug charges after police in Powell, Alabama, noticed something strange about his license plate. It turns out 28-year-old Sean Bingham had altered his plate with a magic marker to make it appear up-to-date. <laughs> Rather than just renew his license plates, he took a, uh, he took a magic marker and uh, tried to uh, write in the new year on his validation sticker. Uh, they pulled him over, and during the investigation, they discovered 25 grams of methamphetamine, a digital scale, and plastic baggies. So they're thinking possession with intent to distribute yeah he was uh, arrested on those charges and for having an expired tag <laughs> just for good measure we're gonna, we're gonna throw that in there too <laughs> and then there is the 19 year old from homestead florida uh 19 year old woman from homestead florida um janiah uh shamiracle douglas is her uh, full name, who was uh, charged with uh, speeding and fleeing from a deputy. When she was arrested, she admitted that it was something on her bucket list. <laughs> the police sergeant said he observed a southbound Toyota sedan speeding along the highway, driving recklessly about 7.47 in the morning. And uh, the uh, Monroe County Sheriff's deputy turned uh turned off or let's try that again the monroe county sheriff's sergeant turned on his lights and siren but the vehicle did not stop and continued southbound until finally pulling over uh several miles later uh ms douglas told police that getting arrested was on her bucket list since high school it had been on her bucket list since high school she's 19 years old <laughs> She's 19. You've got plenty of time to do stupid things. But why wait? I mean, I suppose that's the... <laughs> why wait? You're going to do something dumb. Get it out of the way early. Uh, let's see. From the international file, the broken news this morning, a panel of judges in the United Kingdom have ruled that calling a man bald is sexual harassment. 
this is a report in the Telegraph, the British newspaper. The three judges in Sheffield uh, suffered. Well, here's what it says. The uh, three judges uh, concluded using the word bald to describe someone is a form of discrimination. The ruling comes from a case brought by an electrician who said he was fired from his job after nearly 24 years. Uh, He claimed that he was sexually harassed when a factory supervisor called him bald. He told the court he feared for his personal safety after the incident and was uh, upset that his personal appearance was criticized. The judges agreed and classified uh, using the word bald as a form of sexual harassment. Now, it should be noted that all three judges suffer from hair loss themselves. <laughs> so they, they may be a little biased. I mean, that's... <laughs> Don't call somebody bald at work. You could get slapped with sexual harassment. I guess I can see that, I guess. <clears throat> and uh, finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, how desperate would you be to have, you know, the washboard abs of a supermodel or one of those hunks on TV or in the movies. But if you don't want to put in the work to actually earn it, here is a case where you can get a shortcut. Uh, tattoo artist Dean Gunther says a customer in Manchester, England, said he'd been going to the gym for years with no results. And so he came to Mr. Gunther to do something about it. The pair came up with a plan to give the man a chiseled six-pack via tattoo. Chiseled uh, six-pack washboard abs. (laughs) They tattooed them (laughs) on on his body. Uh, He then shared the final result to social media. Uh, Mr. Gunther said uh, he didn't charge the customer. He did it gratis. Uh, saying it was a passion project for him. (laughs) You don't actually have to lose your beer gut. Just tattoo some washboard abs and you'll be fine. (laughs) That's brilliant. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news. Fitting for a Friday the 13th. Brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veteran Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ed Vlance with OSU Extension. It's planning season. Drivers will be sharing roads with tractors and farm machinery. Be alert for slow-moving vehicles, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this spring to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. So we were talking uh, just a bit ago with uh, Senator Portman about some of the uh, key issues heading into the midterms. The midterms now are just under six months away. And in our daily download this morning, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. New Monmouth University poll out yesterday asked about voters' top concerns heading into the midterms. And uh, number one on the list, not surprisingly, the economy. Number two, abortion. When asked to choose the single most important issue from 
among six policy options. So this was not an open-ended question. should be noted that there were six possible answers. Um, but of those six, the economy and abortion were number one and two at 26 and 25 percent, respectively. So very close uh, between the economy and abortion. The abortion issue, of course, uh, come into central focus since the leak, uh, what, last week or the week before that draft Supreme Court opinion indicating that the high court is poised to perhaps overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. So suddenly that has become a huge issue. I mean, not that it wasn't before, but I, I don't know that it was a top five, let alone the number two issue prior to the leak of that potential ruling. In any event, after that, health care uh, came in next at 16%. Immigration, which you remember we were talking with uh, Senator Portman about how that really hasn't gained a whole lot of traction. Republicans really trying to hammer home the immigration issue really hasn't uh, resonated so much with uh, a lot of voters, uh, with other th- so many other things going on. And this uh, poll does seem to reflect that. Uh, it was in the middle of the pack at 14%. Gun control, 9%, and taxes generated only 8% response as the uh, top issue. It has been well reported that President Biden has a negative approval rating from voters, but this poll shows they feel even less good about Congress, whose members they will vote for this fall. Uh, Just 15% of those surveyed approve of the job Congress is currently doing, down from 21% in March, with a disapproval rating at 77%. And now once again to wrap up the week, as is tradition, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio this morning with another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Good morning, Kai. Hi there. (laughs) I'm trying to get awake. I'm just not awake yet. I even took a shower already. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I mentioned earlier, i haven't had my coffee though i so. mentioned earlier that uh, we are holed up in the bunker today it's friday the 13th i'm not going yeah. out i'm not leaving the house you're not leaving the i'm house. not leaving the house I it's friday that i'm not uh i'm not tempting fate oh uh, i'm going so. to get a massage so that's a good thing okay well there you go so uh <laughs> you're braver than i am gunga din um <laughs> It's kind of interesting. The uh, uh, first recipe here that we have uh, today from Kyra's Kitchen is one you said you were uh, actually planning on testing out yes. uh, earlier this week. And of course, it's been so nice. Yeah. Who's wanted to cook? Yeah. So, you know, what the times that we have cooked, it's been, you know, grilling. Out on the grill. Yeah, yeah. Doing burgers on the grill or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so we haven't had a chance to uh, check this one out yet, yeah. but it sounds yummy. Yeah. It is a chicken parmesan casserole. So you take um, eight ounce of your rigatoni pasta or any pasta is fine Mm -hmm. a 23 ounce jar marinara sauce two cups of mozzarella cheese shredded and and uh separated uh you're gonna put some of that in and then you're gonna put some of it on on top so that's why it's separated quarter cup of parmesan cheese uh finely grated and five to six uh breaded chicken strips so uh boil your water with some salt and pasta and cook for about 10 minutes Drain it and pour it back into the pot. Add your sauce, a quarter cup of Parmesan cheese, and a cup of the mozzarella cheese, and then mix that up and set it aside. 
Then bake your chicken strips as directed on your package. Uh, slice the strips into bite-sized pieces. Preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Lightly grease a medium casserole dish. Add half of the pasta to the casserole dish. Uh, top with part of your chicken strips. Um, sprinkle on some of your Parmesan and your mozzarella. Then repeat with another layer. And uh, make sure you end with the cheese. Bake um, uncovered for about 25 minutes and you're done. And you're done. Yes. Uh, Now, a couple of notes on this. Uh, You're using pre-breaded chicken strips. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could, I guess, theoretically bread them yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You You could do it either way. If you wanted to do that. This Um, was just something easy. I mean, you know, one of those things. The other thing I I thought was interesting in this recipe, you're talking about cutting the chicken strips into bite-sized pieces. Yeah. What about just using them whole? Well, well, yeah, but then you'd still have to cut them up. I guess maybe I mean, easier you could for a child. Uh, well, I'm just saying. I yeah, know. I mean, if you cut them up, I guess yeah, yeah. it'd be easy for, uh, for yeah. kids. Uh, yeah. But I'm say I'm thinking if you use them whole, you put them in there. Uh, you know, you just take the serving out as one chicken yeah. strip with yeah. all of the other gooey, yeah, and fun then, stuff and then on you're going to have to cut them up. So I think that's why but they it wouldn't, did it. Yeah, it, it wouldn't uh, impact how long you would cook, you no. would bake it because they're already cooked. Yes. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. just a couple of thoughts there on that one. You could do it either way. Yeah. But yeah. However the you want to do it. Parmesan casserole. To go along with that, we Whatever have- Whatever's easiest for you, honey. Ha ha. Ha ha. <laughs> uh, Pillsbury biscuit garlic butter cheese bombs. Yes. So these are really good. I like these. So one 16 ounce container of refrigerated uh, biscuit dough, um, eight biscuits, uh, six ounce of mozzarella cheese balls um you can get the ones that are in the oil and they've already got the flavoring um the kind of garlic flavoring to them or just the regular ones uh four tablespoons of melted butter um it's about a half a stick one teaspoon of garlic powder one teaspoon italian seasoning and um some salt so preheat your oven to 400 degrees line a baking sheet with parchment paper Separate the biscuits and top each one evenly with the cheese ball. Uh, wrap the dough around the cheese, making sure it's sealed completely. So when you wrap it around, then kind of roll it in your in the in the palms, both okay. palms, kind of roll it, and that'll All seal right. it up also. All right, that's an easy way to do it. And I'm on the air and I'm doing this. You know, <laughs> like you guys radio. can see me. It is radio, oh, dear. Oh, sorry, nice. yeah. but you know, I you know understand I mean. completely. Yes. So so then. Um, Make sure everything's sealed up. Uh, place each of your stuffed dough sealed down on your baking sheet. Bake for about 10 to 12 minutes or until the dough turns golden brown. Uh, the longer you can bake them, the better. Um, you want to, um, and even if you wanted to kind of put your heat down a little bit, go to like 375. Okay. That would probably, you 375 know. and maybe a, a little yeah. bit longer. Yes. Because yes. you want the cheese to melt. Correct. Right. Right. So, um and then, meanwhile, at, while those are baking, melt the butter in the microwave, then stir in your garlic powder, your Italian seasoning, and your salt. As soon as the biscuits uh, com- come out of the oven, uh, generously brush them with the butter mixture, and then serve warm. Serve warm. Uh, yes. So the uh, cheese doesn't have nice a chance to uh, reconstitute. Yeah. Right. There. Uh, right. And for dessert, chocolate peanut butter cookies. Yes. So this is a half a cup of shortening, three-fourths cup of cream creamy peanut butter, one and a half cups of brown sugar packed, three tablespoons of milk, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, one large egg, a 
one and a quarter cups of all-purpose flour, a half a cup of unsweetened cocoa powder, one teaspoon of baking soda, and a half a teaspoon of salt. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. In a large mixing bowl, beat together the shortening, the peanut butter, the brown sugar, the milk, the vanilla uh, with an electric mixer until it's all well blended. Add your egg and mix just until combined. And then in a small mixing bowl, whisk whisk together your flour, your cocoa powder, your baking soda, and your salt. Add your dry mixture to your wet mixture, uh, kind of a little bit at a time so you don't have a big flour mess going on. Mm -hmm. Then uh, once that's all combined, scoop the cookie dough form into one and a half to one one to one and a half inch dough balls place on your cookie sheet. Then using a fork, I dip my fork in sugar and then uh, and then put them and then dip it onto and then you're gonna make like a tic tac toe um, right. on your right. on your cookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so with your fork. Because you got to do that in peanut butter cookies. Yes, you just have to. I mean, that's just then um, bake for seven to eight minutes just until set around the edges. Cool for about a couple minutes. uh, Then transfer to a wire cooling rack to completely cool and then enjoy. All right. If you don't have a wire cooling rack, you can always use a wax, wax paper. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there you go. The uh, recipes for chicken Parmesan casserole, the Pillsbury biscuit garlic butter cheese bombs, which is one of my favorite names ever. (laughs) And uh, the chocolate peanut butter cookie recipes are posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook. And uh, we'll link them up on the uh, Facebook on the WFIN Facebook page as well. Have them linked up at goodmornings.net. So really easy to find there. All of those recipes. I have one, by the way. You have Have, one what? Have a uh, recipe. Oh, you have a recipe? Uh, This is... This is, this is a dessert. No, yeah, this is a oh, okay. uh, TikTok mm-hmm. uh, trend, and I thought this was really cool. Oh, okay. And it is perfect. You know, the weather has been warm. Summer is coming up. Yep. This is great for the kids as a terrific summer dessert. Okay. Uh, this is frozen fruit roll-ups. Okay. What, uh, and people on TikTok have been doing this. Uh, it's simply you unroll the frozen, or you unroll the, fru- uh, the fruit, fruit roll-up. Roll up. Uh, and then you put them in the freezer. Okay. Or I guess you could just leave them rolled up and put them in the freezer, but they freeze and it's kind mm-hmm. of a crunchy snack. But what was really cool about this is the woman who uh, takes the fru- uh, fruit roll up, okay, she unro- unrolls it, puts ice cream on top of it, rolls it back up like a burrito and puts it in the uh, freezer, lets that freeze and you've yeah. got a, a crunchy ice cream fruit roll up burrito. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. If that you have a- good teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that that is, might, I, I just, I mean, those things are, they're nice and chewy already. Could you imagine trying to I don't know, bite but into one of them? I'm just thinking that would be really cool for the kids. Yeah. Uh, some of you, you could, yeah. you could uh, have some fun with that. So the uh, frozen fruit roll that, ups are a yeah, big trend on, uh, Might have on to TikTok. try that. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of cool. Recipes from Kyra's <laughs> Kitchen this morning and TikTok. My wife, Kyra, <laughs> thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday on the program, retirement planning. When you hear those words, you typically think about making the right investments, your 401k, an IRA, or maybe your company's pension plan, although that's pretty rare these days. Well, all those things are important, but incomplete. We'll explain. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out, making a good day, a great weekend. 
We'll catch you back here next week.